before the Lord in time of prayer. Lord, we echo the psalmist this morning, praise the Lord. Lord, we have not put our trust in human leaders. We don't put our trust in mere mortal beings. But rather, Father, we put our trust in you. There's no salvation in man. Lord, we put our trust in you, the Lord our God, the creator of heaven and earth. Because, Lord, you are forever faithful. And one day you will bring perfect justice throughout this earth. But, Lord, in the meantime, you provide for all the needs of your people. We thank you that you have filled the hungry. You have liberated captives. You've given sight to the blind. You've raised up those who are bowed down. You comfort those who are oppressed. Lord, indeed, how blessed is he whose hope is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord his God. Lord, we thank you this morning that you, are, that you love perfectly and you love everlastingly. Your love endures forever. Those who are covered with your righteousness. We worship you, Lord, as the maker and sustainer of all things. We give thanks to you, O God. We glorify you for your wondrous deeds. But Lord, even in the midst of this reality, we still sin against you. We still break your law, which is written in our hearts as well as in the Holy Scriptures of your word. Lord, there are times when we disregard the voice of our conscience. And we have quenched the spirit by not going in the direction in which he leads us. So, Father, though you've been good to us, we're not always reciprocating that goodness. But yet, Lord, you show us grace daily and long suffering. Your mercies are renewed every morning. And in Christ, we are forgiven. Lord, I ask you as I asked earlier to purge our lives of sin, cleanse our souls from guilt, deliver us from earthly affections. Lord, guide our feet away from the path of evil. Give us the power to resist temptation when it comes our way. And Lord, make us to walk in the way of righteousness for the sake of your holy name. Lord, may we pursue the beauty of your holiness and the security of the hope that you have set before us who believe. And Lord, may we never lose our firm assurance in, in a salvation that is forever. Though we don't always feel like that assurance is there, Lord. But as we sang earlier, you will hold us fast. Through trials, through tribulations, through the troubles of this life. You will hold us fast, Lord. And you will bring us home. Lord, thank you for giving us the armor that we need to protect us against the wiles of the devil. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who intercedes for us always. Thank you for your word, which guides us and teaches us. Lord, as we read your word, empower us to bind it upon our hearts and set our minds on you. 
Lord, give us understanding of your truths and help us to observe how you operate so we can see blessings in every trial and joy in every sorrow. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude and praise. And may we see your design in everything. May we see your divine providence at work even when things don't go well for us. Lord, help us to be grateful. Your Bible tells us in everything to give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Lord, in every condition of life, whether we struggle or prosper, whether we suffer or rejoice, may we know, Lord, that in your hands all these things are being worked together for our good and your eternal glory. We thank you for that, Lord. For the believer, all things work together for good, for our good, and for your eternal glory. May that encourage all of us in here this morning as we go before you in prayer. And Lord, as we come down to the ministry of your word, Lord, bless our time in your holy scripture. Bless our time in your word this morning as we look at the implications of Ephesians 1 verses 8 through 10 looking at the mystery of your will and what your will is for every believer for all the saints and the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ Lord send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning implant them in our hearts and Lord we also pray for the faithful brethren at our other churches for Bob and Justin at ABC and Phil and his elders at Redeemer and Carlton and his elders at Grace Fellowship and Mountain View Church and Brother Justin Holland and Brother Cody Hale out in Iron City. Lord, and all the other like-minded pastors and men leading our churches in this area. Strengthen us as we continue to shepherd your flock. Strengthen our congregations. Help our people to be faithful to your church. Faithful to serve each other in the church. Committed to the ministry of the church in giving and in serving and in loving each other as the flock of God. Encourage us in your spirit, Lord, this morning as we hear from you what you have to say to your church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Let us turn to Ephesians 1. We're back in Ephesians 1, verses 8 through 10. This is the fifth sermon in this book. And our topic this morning is the mystery of his will. And we're, the his, in this case, is God. His is the antecedent to the pronoun God for you English uh, my English students in here <laughs> the mystery of his will who used to watch the uh, cartoon uh, Scooby-Doo growing up you remember what was on the side of their van it was called the mystery wagon 
you know, they was always solving mysteries and at the end pull the mask off and, you know, and see who it was. That was a very interesting cartoon. Of course, when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, Shaggy was a, a hippie. <laughs> I didn't know that growing up. And uh, I didn't know that Shaggy was representative of a hippie. But looking back at it, you're like, yeah, he had that that hippie, uh, yeah. They probably did some other things in that mystery van that, that we didn't know about. I had the psychedelic colors on and everything. So after all, it did come out in the 70s. So, you know, that was a time of all the, the hippie stuff going on in our nation. And Casey Kasem was the voice of uh, uh, Shaggy doing that. You know, Casey Kasem was a you know, famous radio DJ. He used to have America's Top 40. You know, I used to listen to every Saturday morning growing up. Uh, Y'all younger people, yeah, we had radio shows that had the top 40 hits. And it was Casey Kasem's America's Top 40. And I used to love listening to it every Saturday morning down in Montgomery on Y102. Uh, hot uh, Y1 or uh, WHHY 101.9 Y102 in Montgomery. Sorry for going down nostalgia lane here. But um, anyway, that the Scooby Doo, they had the mystery, uh, mystery van, a mystery wagon. Mystery Machine, that was it. It was called the Mystery Machine. That's what it was. And so we're looking at the word mystery this morning in our text, and we'll explain the biblical meaning of that word. So <clears throat> let's see what the word of the Lord says here. Again, we're going to begin at verse 1, just get the context of everything. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved or accepted us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him the things in heaven and on earth so you see mystery of his will in here in this verse and then you see in the very first verse Paul says an apostle of Christ by the will of God and then in the verse 5 God adopted us according to the purpose of his will so we see a theme here dealing with will the mystery of his will. And I'll begin by this. Um, all of us wrestle with the question, what is the will of God for my life? I remember some years ago, maybe about 20 years ago or so, I, I spoke to a group of uh, youth at a youth convention over at 17th Street Baptist Church uh, in my old denomination. And I remember uh, my, my message to them was what is the will of God for my life to those those youth most of them probably in their late 20s and 30s by now but at that time I was uh, 
uh, preaching a, a sermon to them about what is the will of God for my life. And that is a question that a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians, uh, struggle with. And we posit it as a struggle because we ask the question, why, why didn't God just show me clearly what he wants me to be doing? Isn't that what we struggle with sometimes? Why don't God just, just show me? Why, why does it seem like it's such a mystery? Like we, we have to kind of figure out what God's will is for my life. It's, I mean, when I was young, I used to think the same thing. Like, man, what, what is God's will for my life? What, what does God want me to do with my life? Why, why can't he just, you know, give me this epiphany, you know, like in the, uh, what is it? A Hallmark Christmas movie where, you know, boy meets girl and all of a sudden, you know, they, they draw a whole story around this epiphany that they had about wanting to be with each other. It's always the same, same story. You know, bump heads in the grocery store in the fruit section or whatever, you know, <laughs> and you look at each other's eyes and, you know, so forth and so on. That's not real life. But anyway, we struggle with that question. What is God's will for my life what is that God wants me to be doing why didn't he just show me why didn't he just drop it in you know download it into my in my spirit he already has done that right now at this moment in your life you're in the will of God surprise that's the spoiler alert you are in the will of God right now now, in studying this first chapter in Ephesians, we've already learned much about who we are as Christians. You know, we talked about our identity, you know, who we are as believers and what type of spiritual blessings God has for us. As I just read from the first verse, we we see what God has showered upon us. Just as Paul was commissioned to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God. And he could be confident in God's will for him. We have been commissioned to be saints. That is God's will for us. We've been blessed with the riches of God's grace, which is every spiritual blessing. What is God's will for us? That we become saints. That we become his chosen ones. That we become his people. That's God's will for our life. But... What we've done is we've psychologized it. We've complicated the concept of doing God's will into something that leads to earthly or material success. Like we see a person that's uh, in poverty. As they, I don't like using that word, but for the sake of what I'm discussing, we see a person that's in poverty and we'll say that can't be God's will for them. God's will for you is to be wealthy, to be rich, to have the big house in Edgefield Farm in, or, 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 or to stay in the gated uh, community and have $100,000 luxury cars and have a million followers on Instagram or be a TikTok influencer. Not struggling not having health issues or, or health problems, not having bad kids or, or unloving husband or unloving wife. We tend to look at the will of God through an Americanized lens, through a modern lens, 
and not through a spiritual lens. We tend to do that a lot as believers. So what did Paul tell us so far in this chapter? First of all, God chose us. He chose us to be what? Holy and without blemish. To be saints like the Lord Jesus. He predestined us as adoption. To adoption rather. As sons. We see that in verse 5. He redeemed us. And forgave us of our sins. He freed us from the bondage of sin. So that we can live like saints. We're willing service of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this, friends, is part of the will of God. In one of my commentaries here, uh, the author breaks down the will of God as a topic in the New Testament, especially. Jesus himself said that he came to do the Father's will. We see that in John uh, 4 and 34, John 5 and 30, and John 6 and 38. Jesus himself came to do God's will. He said he didn't come to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. He was talking about God the Father. He came to do God's will. He didn't come as a renegade or a rebel to do his own thing. He wasn't a revolutionary as people try to say. No, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And he said as much. He says it is his will to raise up the last day all whom the father gave to him. That's John 6 and 39. His will is to raise up all the saints on that day that he comes back. To raise us up so that we can be seated with him. His will is also that all believe in the son. His will is that everyone is saved. So Paul in his letters speak of the will of God being the maturity and service of all believers. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says to, to be not conformed to this world but to, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is Paul the will of God for our lives. To be conformed to Christ to be conformed to the image of Christ to be delivered from this evil age to experience a spirit filled life to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh to be filled with the knowledge of God that's Colossians 1 and 9 there are many different passages in the scriptures that teach us uh, what God, how God wants us to live. First Thessalonians 5 and 18. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you being thankful and having gratitude. That's part of the will of God. Being thankful, having a thankful heart. We saw this morning, thank you Lord. Having a heart of praise towards God. Not having a complaining and grumbling uh, and discontent spirit and discontent heart. That's not the will of God. It is the will of God to be what? Thankful 
and grateful. So when we're looking at the mystery of his will this morning, we're going to see that that mystery has been revealed. So first principle is that God has blessed us with insight into the mystery of his will. So looking at verse eight here. He says. He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, what did he lavish upon us? The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He lavished this upon us in all wisdom and insight. In other words, it has a sense of the full measure of God's grace that he has bestowed upon us and all the provisions that we have in Christ. God, you know what it means to lavish someone with gifts? That means you just overflow in giving them something. And that's what God has done for us in giving us wisdom and insight. So the first thing we see is that God gives us insight into his mystery and will. Now, what is a mystery? A mystery in scripture. It refers to the revelation of something that was previously hidden. Or known, but now is fully made known. So a mystery is something that was previously hidden. But is now known to us. It is not something that remains hidden. It's something that was hidden, but all of a sudden now we see it. So he says he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, these are two different terms that they can be used interchangeably. But when we think about wisdom, we think about God's gift of uh, understanding. It's not secret knowledge. It's not some type of secret esoteric knowledge that only a few people have access to. God gave wisdom to fallen mankind that we might grasp the implications of the gospel. So this wisdom is something that comes from God. It is wisdom is basically insight into the true nature of things. And this wisdom comes from God. He lavished this wisdom upon us. What does God's wisdom look like? His word is wisdom. God's word is wisdom. It is our wisdom. The wisdom of this world is foolish. It is not true wisdom. The wisdom of this world leads to chaos and anarchy and heartbreak and misery. As Paul said about those who reject God, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Those in this world think they're wiser than God, that they know better than God, that they try to reorder God's creation. They try to reorder God's created order. That is what the wisdom of this world does, but it is foolish. Wisdom that comes from God is what we should seek after because it is the only true wisdom. 
Now, there may be some truisms in our culture, some wise sayings that may be true, but they're only true because they find their source in God's wisdom. Not because somehow man found some truth out there outside of God. No, anything that is true comes from God, comes from the wisdom that God supplies. Like my uh, friend, Brother Carlton Weather said, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> okay, there may be some people that stumble upon some, some, some type of wisdom, something that's true, but it's because it was given to them by God through common grace. It's not something that they came up with. So what does God do? He lavishes us with this wisdom and this insight. Because, and Paul is saying this because the false teachers of his day were emphasizing secret wisdom. Now, who is God's wisdom? It is Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God can only be revealed by means of the Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. And Paul says this when he's talking about things that can only be spiritually understood. We was talking to the Corinthian uh, church. The wisdom of this world is, is foolishness with God. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 beginning at... Uh, Verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for had, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what he was saying is that those who crucified Christ thought that they were wise, but they were not. If they were wise, they would not have crucified him. But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no heart, uh, nor has entered to the heart of man those things which God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, yes, the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Only those who have the spirit of God can comprehend the thoughts of God, the wisdom of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, we being believers, but the spirit which is from who? God. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but things taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Only those who are spiritual. What I mean by that is those who have the spirit of God in them by faith in Christ. Only they can understand the things of the spirit. And he explains why. Verse 14, the natural person or the natural man, the unregenerate man, the unsaved man, the, the pagan, the unbeliever. That's what you can put in that place. The natural man, those who are unregenerate, those who are not saved, those who are not filled with the spirit. 
The natural man does not accept or receive the things of the spirit of God. Why? Because they are folly to him. They are foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. Those who are unbelievers can't understand the doctrine of salvation. They can't understand the doctrine of justification by faith. They can't understand the doctrine of sanctification. They can't understand how can a person be a saint. They can't understand how a person can be adopted into God's family. Why? Because those things are spiritually discerned. The, the spirit of God has to reveal that to them. That is why the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Because the wisdom of God can only be understood spiritually. And God has to reveal that to them. So looking back at our text, when, when Paul is saying God has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Why does he do this? Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now I'm going to read this right John MacArthur said this about uh, wisdom. Do you know the Greek word for wisdom is Sophia? Like the name Sophia, it's a very pretty name. Sophia means wisdom. That's the Greek word for, um, so if you meet a person named Sophia, that means that her, her parents named her wisdom. So that means everybody who's, whose name is Sophia needs to be wise, right? <laughs> hey, you got to live up to your name, right? <laughs> okay. John MacArthur says this, Sophia emphasizes of ultimate things such as life and death God and man righteousness and sin heaven and hell eternity and time he continues Paul is speaking of wisdom concerning the things of God when we think about wisdom that's what we have to think about the things concerning the spirit things concerning the wisdom of God the things of God uh, phrenesis which is insight on the other hand emphasizes practical understanding comprehension of the needs problems and principles of everyday living it is a spiritual prudence in the handling of daily affairs so basically insight is wisdom applied you take the wisdom that you have and you apply it to a practical understanding of life so we take the wisdom that we have and we apply it, the wisdom from God, and we apply it to our lives, and that is where the insight comes from. We have comprehensions of the needs, the problems, and the principles of everyday living as they are governed by God and his word and his wisdom. So who gives us the wisdom and insight to live in his life? God does. It comes from him. And it gives us insight into those spiritual things that God has given us. So Paul says here that he's lavished these things upon us, making known to us the mystery of his will. Again, mystery is from the Greek mysterion, um, the revelation of something that was previously hidden. Okay, now, what is the mystery of his will? It's been revealed to us. And again, we talked about in the beginning about what is God's will. Practically, again, you are right now in the will of God. I'm in the will of God right now. And when you think about your life, we talk about the providence of God and how God 
providentially put us where we are in our lives. It wasn't by accident that you ended up where you are right now. It wasn't by accident that you ended up at this church listening to this sermon on March 12th, 2023 at 11.35 a.m. It was supposed to be 10.35, but thanks to Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> it's not by mistake. It's not by accident. It was God's will for your life to be here right now at the Living Church, worshiping and serving Him and being amongst the saints of God. You're in God's will right now. It was God's will that he saved me May 12, 1991. It, was his, it wasn't my will. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen that day when I went to church. I didn't know I was going to uh, be married and have uh, two children and be an insurance agent for State Farm and be a pastor. I didn't know that. But that was God's will for my life. Of course, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to do 30 years in the Navy and retire while all my classmates are still working. That's what I put in my last will and testament, by the way. <laughs> I said, I'm going to be 48 years old, retire for the Navy, and y'all fools still going to be working. You know? <laughs> yes, that's what I said in my yearbook and my last will and testament. I wasn't a believer, so that's the way I thought. Uh, but God had other plans for my life. You know, and I told my wife, had I stayed in the Navy, I wouldn't have met her. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have met any of you all. I don't know how my life would have been. I had thoughts and plans and, and, and everything. Being a Christian wasn't one of them. Okay. But this was God's will for my life. We have to accept that we are in the will of God right now. God has your life planned, believer. He has it planned out to the T, to his glory. He had a plan. He has revealed to us the mystery of his will in this sense in the spiritual blessings that we have. So that's the larger context of it. Now, the thing about God is, is, is God is not a stingy God because his will for our life is always ultimately for our good and for his glory it is always for our good not necessarily what we think is good because again we think that everything that is good doesn't involve any suffering or any struggles or any hard times or hardships that's what we think I look at it like a long marriage. My in-laws will be celebrating 53 years uh, coming up for their uh, marriage. 53 years. That's a long time. You know, we say that's like a lifetime. They've been together for 53 years. I'm, 50, I'm, I'm 51 years old. They've been married as long as I, longer than I've been living. Don't you think in their marriage they've had hard times and hard seasons? Does that make marriage not worth it? No. <laughs> that makes it more worth it because you can, hey, you, you're two sinners coming together. Fred and I have had hard seasons. But guess what? 
it was still for God's glory and for our good that we persevered through those hard times. And what does it do? It strengthens our oneness because we are one flesh after all. It strengthens that bond. That's how the Christian life is. We have all these spiritual blessings that God has showered upon us, as Paul has said. We're predestined. We're adopted. We're blessed in the beloved. We're blessed in Christ. Yet in this Christian life, guess what? We're going to have moments of discouragement. We're going to have moments where we're depressed. We're going to have moments where we don't think we're saved. (laughs) We're going to have moments where we think that God doesn't hear our prayers. God doesn't see my struggles. God doesn't hear my cries. We are going to have those moments. But that does not change the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. That does not change his will for our life. God has revealed that to us. That mystery has been revealed. And this, as Paul says in verse 9, is according to whose purpose? His purpose. The mystery has been revealed according to his purpose. It was once hidden, but now it is made openly. And this was in contrast to those pagan religions of Paul's day and even of our day that they have some type of esoteric or special uh, knowledge for the initiated you know the cool kids club but God gives us practical knowledge he gives practical knowledge to all of his saints and once God reveals a mystery he don't want it to remain a secret he reveals it to us. He revealed it to the, to the Apostle Paul. And Paul revealed that mystery to the church at Ephesus. And we're reading that today. And what are some of those concepts, some of those uh, mysteries of God's will that he has revealed? Number one, the divine plan of redemption as a whole. The, all of Scripture, all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story of redemption. God created You have the four mega themes of scripture. You have uh, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or glorification. You have creation, Genesis 1 and 2. God created. God made the heavens and earth. God created the animals. God made man out of the dust of the earth. God gave man a suitable companion to help me, a woman, and placed him in the garden to work in the garden. But what happened? Man sinned. And when man sinned, not only did we fall into sin, but all of creation was corrupted by sin. But God had promised in Genesis 3 a redeemer. So from Genesis 3 all the way throughout the narrative of scripture, you see God's plan of redemption working it out. It wasn't his plan B. It wasn't his emergency parachute. 
So we see throughout the rest of Scripture, as we're reading through the Bible, as we're studying through the Bible, as we're studying through the Old Testament, we see redemption. We see redemption. We see God calling a people to himself through the patriarch Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes and all these people, this nation that Joseph went to uh, Egypt. He was taken into slavery. He was thrown rather into a pit and taken into slavery and rose up in Egypt and became the prime minister of Egypt. And when Jacob died, there was a Pharaoh who did not know God's people. And Egypt was, uh, I'm sorry, the Israelites were in slavery for over 400 years. And what did God do? He sent a redeemer in the person of Moses, who is a type of Christ to do what? To redeem his people from slavery. And he brought them out into the desert. And what did he do? He made a covenant promise to them that he made to Abraham that he was going to take them into a promised land. And he prepared them for that land. We see that in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And as we're Bible, studying the Bible through the book, book of Deuteronomy, as God is giving them instructions as they go into this land. All of this is in God's plan of redemption. And then we read in Joshua where they got to the land and they got their uh, land allotted to them. And they still didn't drive out all the uh, nations from around them. And we see the book of Judges where scripture says every man did according to, you know, what was right in his own eyes. That's how that book ended. And then you get to the roof, roof where you see uh, Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, the, the, the type of Christ. You still see the story of redemption. Then you get to first and second Samuel where you're going to have King David, who's the prototype king, who's 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 seated in the throne where Christ will sit. You see all that redemption. God, although his people rebelled against him, they go into exile. They come back. You see that in the book of what? Nehemiah, Ezra. God doesn't do away with his people. He sent them next out to punish them for 70 years and brought them back into the land to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the wall. You see that plan of redemption. You see all the prophets where they're prophesying to Israel to turn back to God. This is what's going to happen if you don't. All the while, God is still pointing toward the Redeemer. And then through the New Testament, you see Christ. The fulfillment of that redemption from Genesis 3. Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose triumphantly from the grave on the third day and he ascended to heaven and he is seated right now at the right hand of God. Still saving, still redeeming people from their sins. But the final act in all of scripture is the consummation of Christ's kingdom. When he comes back to judge the living and the dead. And all of redemptive history will be complete. That is the mystery of God's will that he has revealed to all of us. There's not a certain type of person or theologian that knows that. He has revealed that plan to all of us. All we have to do is open up the Bible and read it. Amen. So that divine plan of redemption as a whole has been revealed particular things about that divine plan the inclusion of the gentiles into the family of god that has been revealed in scripture we see that beginning in the book of acts and in romans 11 
And we'll get to that in Ephesians 3. We see the inclusion of the Gentiles, where the two shall become one. Both Jew and Gentile are united as one in Christ. We see the union of Christ in the church in uh, Ephesians 5, where, 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 where Christ, where Paul talks about uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The union between Christ and the church. That is a mystery that has been revealed, the relationship between Christ and his church. So all this has been revealed to us. God has shown us. And the final consummation of that will is in verse 10. He says, according to this, his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, To unite all things in him. Things in heaven. And in earth. What is the final goal of God's will? We just talked about it. Summing everything up in Christ. The consummation of, of all things. The restoration of all things. We should never forget. Or lose sight of God's original creation. And what was lost through the fall. What was lost through the fall was the perfection of God's creation. Sin marred that. You know, we talked about this before. Before the fall, uh, before the flood, it didn't rain on the earth. The earth was watered by dew. It did not rain until the ark. Animals didn't kill each other until the fall. We didn't have earthquakes and tornadoes and all these natural disasters on the earth before the fall. So what God created was corrupted. But in the end, all things will be restored to their intended function. That's what Paul means by this. This is what God has revealed to us. This is the mystery. The fullness of time, when the consummation of time comes, when everything is summed up, it's going to be summed up in who? In Christ. Friends, history belongs to God. History doesn't belong to us. God is the author of history. History is not something that man creates. It is something that God does. Do you know that there's certain parts of human history that are only found in the Bible? They only exist in Scripture. And there are things in history that Scripture mentions, like the uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a ruler in Babylon. He's mentioned in world history books. Uh, Shalmaneser. The second, who was the ruler of Assyria when Assyria came, I'm, I'm sorry, Salmanasa V, who came in uh, as the Assyrian king who uh, took the northern kingdom in, uh, into slavery and scattered them. He is mentioned in human history. The, the, all the different kingdoms of the world. But history belongs to God. And this is what we must understand about history. History is headed somewhere. History is not headed nowhere. 
history has an end. And the end of history is the consummation of Christ's kingdom. This world is going somewhere. It is headed somewhere. Be not afraid. No plan of man can thwart God's plan for history. This world is headed somewhere. Number one is going to burn up. <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> okay. It's headed somewhere. God is going to usher in the new Jerusalem. That's where history is headed. Christ is going to come back and judge the world. Remember in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The ultimate end of history is the exaltation of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the revelation is about. It is about the exaltation, the unveiling of Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the word apocalypse means. It means revelation. The word apocalypse means to unveil. That's what it means. When people hear the word apocalypse, the first thing they think about is, is like terrible terrible things that's because we allow Hollywood to uh, taint our meaning of scripture apocalypse means unveiling and unveiling that's what revelation is it's, it's, it's an unveiling it's the revelation of Jesus Christ but Paul is telling us in here the mystery of his will has been revealed and what is that mystery that Christ is coming back the fullness of time all things will be united in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's where history is headed, Christian. And that is what we take courage in. We know that all of this is headed somewhere. It's not headed to the great nothing. John MacArthur said, when every trace of evil has been disposed of, God will establish and incomparable unity in himself of all things that remain. This is the inevitable goal of the universe. The eradication of evil. The eradication of sin. This physical universe will. Be cleansed. Of the sin that has ravished it. The fall caused it. But all this is due to the divine management of God. God is taking this somewhere. And in the fullness of time, guess what? It will happen. In the fullness of time, as Paul said in uh, Galatians, God sent forth his son. And also in the fullness of time, his son is going to come and unite all things in heaven and in earth. That is what we have to look forward to. History is going somewhere. The goal of history is is the consummation of Christ's kingdom. That is the mystery of God's will revealed to us. And only those who are spiritual, those who have the spirit, can truly understand it. Because you have people who are, uh, they have a, what we call a nihilistic worldview. They think that this earth is nothing, that it's just nothing to this life. They don't care about things. They don't care about personal belongings they don't care about other uh, other people's belongings they just don't care they have a nihilistic worldview they don't care about anything or anyone 
but themselves. They destroy themselves. They destroy their own bodies. And they don't care about destroying anyone else or someone else's property because they have the worldview that, that this, whatever hap is happening now is it. Like, like, like there's no logical end to all of this. And those who are going around living in rebellion against God, they live as if the same thing is true. They don't live as if one day they're going to have to stand before Christ at the consummation of his kingdom and give an account for their life. They don't live like that. They live as if I just live my best life and that's it. I go to the great nothing or the great beyond. And whatever happens, happens. He'll sort everything out. He is going to set everything out. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And the tares are going to be thrown into the fire and be burned. He's going to separate the goat from the sheep. At the end of time. He's going to consummate his kingdom. And it's going to be an eternal kingdom. Where his glory will be the light. And guess what? We're going to be walking on streets paved with gold. <laughs> we will have our nice room in the sky that looks better than the best hotel room you've ever stayed in. What's the best hotel room you stayed in? Heaven is going to be way, way better than that because it's not going to be tainted by sin and the fall and the effects of the fall. You said the nicest hotel room is Spider Roach. <laughs> Pay $200 a night. You still see a little, what was this bug doing bathroom? I paid $200 a night for this room. Yeah, where did you come from? Bed bugs, all that stuff. But in heaven, not to worry about that. That's, that's the end of history, people, the consummation of the kingdom. But guess what? That's not a mystery to us. God is so giving. He reveals all these things to us. Why? As a source of hope, as a source of encouragement, that this life is not for nothing. This life is not meaningless. The world will have you think that, oh man, it's, it's just a life. You only live once. Live it up. You, you know, you, you build up enough good karma, you can reincarnate and come back as something better. That's what, that's what the world tells, tells people. And they buy that lie. That man, this, this is one life. Live it up. As the Epicurean said, eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow we die. Like that's it. Eat. Uh, your, your purpose in life is to just eat, drink, carouse, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, go on tender and swipe right as many times as you want and just live it up. You might as well. You only live once. And you live a life of misery. You live a life of regret, constant regret. And you have to medicate yourself to not think about it. You have to take drugs and, and, and uh, alcohol to not think about the misery that you cause your life, cause yourself, because you believe the lie that this is all there is to it. History is headed somewhere. And Paul tells us here, as a plan for the fullness of time, the goal is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. No matter what good or evil happens. Evil will not triumph. 
Evil may seem to be winning right now, believer. But it will not triumph. God's plans for his people will be fulfilled in the fullness of time. And that's the courage. I'm sorry. That's the encouragement that we have in scripture. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us in saving us. You lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The mystery of your will, according to your purpose, which you set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in earth. Lord, thank you for revealing to us these precious truths. As believers, we can take courage in knowing that history is headed somewhere. And it's heading somewhere definite. It's heading to the consummation of Christ's kingdom. And Lord, when he comes back, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that those who are not in Christ within the sound of this voice, that they come, repent, turn to Christ. Lord, give them saving faith that they may turn to Christ and be saved. Be saved from your wrath. Be saved from your judgment on that great day and that condemnation to be eternally separated from you in hell forever and ever and ever. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there will be sorrow upon sorrow, where there will be tears forever. Where there will be fire unquenched. Lord save. So that when Christ comes back. To consummate his kingdom. They will be on his right hand. Where he will say enter in. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And not be on the left hand. Where he will say depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Lord, save souls and encourage the saints by your revealed will. In Christ's name I pray, amen.